Hello everyone, it's November 20th, 2018, so NASA may cancel SLS if SpaceX and Blue Origin can do the job instead. And Elon tweets again about yet another radical change to BFR, which is to be expected coming from Elon, but it's exciting news all the same. Let's talk about it and let's talk. And we have cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 185 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. Oh, yeah, we're doing a show. <laughs> I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. Yes, we are doing a show. Who are you people? <laughs> and hopefully we'll make it a nice quick one since uh, I guess both of you have somewhere to go. We are coming up on Thanksgiving, so pretty busy time. I'm no rush today, but uh, like like uh, last week, but I definitely uh, don't think we need to go longer than we need to. <laughs> so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really big weekend, so I want to give a shout out to my students. We went to Central Arizona, and these six students, without any experience with anything electronics, they had never coded before, most of them had never soldered before, but in a, two months, they built an atmospheric payload, and just uh, yesterday morning, we launched it from Central AZ, and it took data, it reached 103,000 feet before the burst, mm. which we were able to see from the ground, which is really awesome. <laughs> wow, you can and, see that from the ground? Yeah, yeah, because I mean, it's like 40 feet diameter, I think, this particular mm. type of balloon by the time it's up there, and, uh, and very reflective. And so, yeah, and then it, you know, the payload survived the landing. We were able to retrieve it, but I had been running around like a chicken with my head cut off this weekend, uh, getting ready for it. And, you know, it landed in the middle of the desert, like in the middle of nowhere. So it was, uh, -huh. uh but yeah, it was great. And I'm super proud of them. So that's awesome. What was your payload? It took some basic atmospheric measurements. So temperature, pressure, and humidity it had a sensor on there that collected those. It had an accelerometer because they wanted to basically, uh, see the change, uh, when it finally mm -hmm. uh, burst, as well as the impact. And it had, of course, a downward-facing GoPro. And that was the most successful uh, bit of it there. So they were super pumped about that. How, how spinny was the video? Oh, it was very spinny. But it's not, like, unwatchably. Like, it, you'll get dizzy okay. a little bit. But um, we were lucky, too, because... Uh, so we were doing this with all the other... Not all of them, but most of the other colleges and universities in the state. And the last payload actually caught fire. Uh, a little mm. bit it started to smoke uh, they had mixed up some wiring somewhere so they ended up blowing a circuit and uh happily it didn't set the whole thing on fire because this happened about 10 seconds before we launched uh, the oh balloon. okay and so uh all is well that ends well and when it landed it didn't start a forest fire so we're in good shape yeah. there <laughs> we all know that's yeah something you don't want to do okay nope. that famous arizona forest yeah right <laughs> still still standing i was kind of thinking like what is there to catch on fire but i mean it is very dry so brush yeah there are like yeah it's all shrub in the lowlands but where there's mountains i love the uh the phrase they call them sky islands because once mm. you go up the mountain then it does get cold enough that you do get sort of a what a deciduous type forest a lot of like mm. firs and pines and things like that and so that's why the telescopes are always threatened by fires. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, uh, ground level, not really so much. Uh, so I, I have to ask as a follow-up from last week, did any food items make it into your payload box? <laughs> uh, no, they, uh, they, were they were so panicked before the actual watch. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they didn't actually seal the payload until maybe about 10, 20 minutes before we did the launch. And so they were kind of running around as well. And so... No last-minute uh, shenanigans, alas. <laughs> right, but but right. we do have the plan to maybe, you know, put some gum in there or something, and so people can have, you know, edge-of-space gum afterwards, you know? Edge-of-space <laughs> gum. 
<laughs> mm, I love gum that's been in a freezer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess without further ado, we should move on to this week in spaceflight history. Yeah. Uh, so who are our winners this week? All right. So we have Noah Purdy, Patrick McGuire, Gabriel Norris, Chubby Turcosi, and Law Loving. All guessed correctly. Um, the clue from last week was 10 centimeters and no cranberry juice, something, something, or, or maybe <laughs> s- still no cranberry juice. I don't remember. And people were, people were like, Oh, okay. I think I've got a good, a good event, but I don't figure, I can't figure out how it relates to cranberry juice. And it's like, guys, I said no cranberry juice. <laughs> how much clear? So that it was a reference to last, uh, to last week, but yeah, the, I clearly said no cranberry juice. Mm. All right. This week in spacewide history is November 21st, 1960. It was Mercury MR one's very short flight. Uh, in the show notes will be uh, a link to the Wikipedia page, but also a link to a YouTube video. I have wanted to talk about this for so long. It, this has been sitting in a folder called comedic spaceflight failures on <laughs> our Google drive folder. Cause I've, I've wanted to do a segment called comedic spaceflight failures, sort of like the SpaceX feature that we do every now and again. This is like the very first thing on there because to qualify as a comedic spaceflight failure, A, there has to be uh, no human uh, injuries or deaths. And B, it has to fail. And C, it has to be funny. And this, I mean, it, it has the comedic timing down. You can hear the Benny Hill music in your head as you watch oh, the video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Um, so this incident was covered in Gene Kranz's book, Failure is Not an Option. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, pretty good. So Mercury MR1 was a qualification flight. Uh, it was getting us ready to start doing crude suborbital Mercury missions. One of the big things that they wanted to test were the automated flight controls, notably the uh, the abort system. So the MR system, the Mercury Redstone system, and then, of course, you know, later different launchers. But the MR system had launch abort uh, sensors, right? It had a couple of different sensors and some logic gates that could decide, uh, hey, things aren't going right. Let's abort the mission. And of course, the Mercury capsule has got a launch abort system, a, a tower on top that can pull the capsule away from the vehicle. Like we're pretty familiar with this at this point. So in this flight, they wanted to test the abort system, but they didn't want an incorrect abort determination to cut the entire flight short because they're figuring there's no people on here. We're not expecting to recover anything. So if, if things go wrong, we'd rather just have them go wrong and not see the, uh, the abort tower save, you know, save quote unquote people. Um, they, and they would rather err on the side of getting a complete test. So what they did was they ran them in open loop mode, which is basically they diffused the sensors. The sensors can detect uh, abort criteria. They can, I don't think that they had a, a flight recorder. I think this was all radio telemetry. So they can, you know, call back and say, Hey, I want to abort, but they can't actually trigger an abort. And then the, the other big thing that they were looking at was the range operations, um, wanting to make sure that the tracking uh, telescopes and all that all all work properly. So yeah, so cue the Benny Hill music. Here's basically what we saw. You know, the countdown happens, the uh, tower falls away, the engines successfully ignite, and immediately the launch escape tower fires, and the engines cut off, and it just sits there in this cloud of smoke that's dissipating. Turns out that it actually made it four inches off the pad, which I converted to 10 centimeters to make it a little harder to Google. Uh, sure. And uh, in the video, you can't 
quite see that it actually moved, but you know, no. take my word for it. Mm-hmm. it. It moved four inches, uh, settled back down on the pad. Some funny stuff happened after that, but let's now focus on the control room. The control room's freaking out. Um, what they didn't mm-hmm. know is that basically there are two umbilicals that connect well, multiple umbilicals that connect to the rocket um, that are supposed to break off in a certain order. And in this case, the uh, they had had some, I believe they had had some range issues. And so they had reinstalled some of these cabling. And so the uh, control umbilical was a bit longer than it should have been. So it was supposed to, you're supposed to have the control umbilical separate and then the power umbilical separate, but it happened in the opposite order. And so with the vehicle no longer being grounded, uh, it shorted out the engine cutoff relay. Um, so the, the engine just shuts off as soon as this, uh, as soon as the control umbilical separates, <laughs> this is so funny. So the engine cuts off and goes, Oh, Hey, looks at his watch. I'm done with work today. <laughs> I'm going to let the capsule know I'm done. So it sends a successful termination command to the capsule and the capsule goes, Oh, cool. All right. So we should be on our way to orbit. And the next thing that happens in the in the flight sequence is the launch escape tower is jettisoned. So the launch escape tower goes, oh, the rockets are done. OK, we're out of here. Launch escape tower flies off. It goes 400 or 4000 feet up and lands uh, 1200 feet away. So that is kind of like what is supposed to happen up in the air, but instead it happens on the ground. So the next thing that happens is the capsule is supposed to separate from the rocket. But the capsule goes, oh, dang, I still feel acceleration. Well, it's not acceleration from the rockets. It's acceleration from sitting on the surface of the earth, right? (laughs) So uh, the capsule separation controller doesn't uh, separate the capsule. Um, Then the next normal thing that happens is you jettison uh, the drogue parachute, which then pulls out the main. Uh, So both of those fired uh, successfully. And then the reserve parachute system is there in case the main parachute doesn't deploy properly. Well, hey, guess what? It didn't deploy properly. There's supposed to be load on those um, on those guys. I think that's what they're called. the, The guy cables There's supposed to be load on those. Of course, the parachute is dangling down the side of the rocket that's still on earth so then after that the reserve parachute pops and it's just this yeah that's where the comedic timing comes from it's like all these little things flying away from the capsule so like i said the control room breaks out in panic fortunately no you know nobody's life is at risk but now you have a rocket that's fully fueled sitting on a launch pad with no launch clamps, mm-hmm. right? It's basically balancing on its tail at this point. Not only that, but there are solid retro rockets still on the vehicle and, uh, you know, <laughs> extra complications. And, and then if that's not bad enough, you've got parachutes dangling down the side of the vehicle. If the wind picks up, those parachutes are going to do their job and basically pull the entire stack over. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's not great. Yeah, so the control room is is panicking, trying to figure out what do we do? We've never considered that the vehicle could be in this state, and now it is. And so they came up with a bunch of different ideas, but in the end, the flight controller, Chris Kraft, um, said, you know what, uh, when in doubt, don't do anything. Let's just let it sit. The liquid oxygen will boil off overnight. The batteries will die, and the batteries dying will safe the 
uh, the retro rockets will, will be okay. Let's just get through the night. Um, and that's what they did. They waited it out. And the next morning they were able to go and recycle the vehicle. Uh, not, not recycle. That's a very specific term that doesn't apply here. They were able to go recover the vehicle. I'm wondering though, since it lifted four inches off the pad and then came back down, was it still in position to maybe like, if you could put those clamps back on, <laughs> would that be possible? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Quite possibly. That's not what they ended up doing. Um, in the end, they decided to pull the Redstone rocket from circulation. And it's actually now on display at Marshall Space Flight Center. But the Mercury capsule was reused, actually, for the next flight, MR-1A. It was it was reused for that. So I, I don't know if they could. I mean, it's probably not a good idea without extensive checkouts, right? Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, you probably don't want to get that close to it in that state. Well, forget getting close to it. Even once you've safed all the propellants and everything, who knows? what kind of wrinkles were put in the in the rocket itself you know you'd have to i don't even know if they had the ability to use ultrasound to study you know metallurgical stresses back then so i like to call this a successful failure yes it was a failure but they also learned from it they validated the abort systems because the abort systems were basically screaming the entire time saying something was wrong they added a, a longer grounding strap to the vehicle so that you couldn't short out anything on the vehicle um, they also added a minimum mission elapse timer to the nominal cutoff signal. So the engines can cut off whenever they want, but unless I think it's like 120 seconds has passed, they won't tell the capsule that they successfully cut off, um, which means that the abort tower is basically protected for the first 120 seconds. Um, you're not accidentally going to lose it. And yeah, so the beginning of American space flight or crude space flight anyway, was just so hectic and we were doing so many things all at once. And this is just one of the lovely stories that came out of it where nobody got hurt and it is great comedic timing i mean that rocket knew what it was <laughs> knew what it was doing <laughs> it's kind of like when in like cartoons somebody pulls out a gun and then like you know there's like a little flag that pops <laughs> out and says bang mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of that mm -hmm. yeah. yeah it kind of has that same feel to it so that's a great description so what's our clue for next week let's hope it doesn't involve cranberry juice this time <laughs> <laughs> yeah so next week in the year 2000 the clue is spread your wings yeah i got my r kelly pick in there now right. if you think you know what that is all about then give us a tweet with the hashtag this week sf and good luck sls might be voluntarily ended is this good news right out of the gate i just want to say i'm kind of happy to read that i don't know how <laughs> you guys feel about it but Oh, oh, mixed feelings. Let me tell you. <laughs> so this, this actually, this is really weird. Uh, I was looking around for a primary source uh, that wasn't, or that you know, a, a, I wanted a, a space outlet to to use as our our source for this. But actually, the primary source turns out to be Business Insider. So um, they talked to Deputy Administ NASA Deputy Administrator Stephen Jurchik at the Economist Space Summit, and he made. What, what seems like kind of an offhand comment, but we're going to blow it out of proportion uh, oh, yeah. in just a second here. <laughs> um, so, so the actual quote is, I think our view is that if those commercial capabilities come online, we will eventually retire the government system and just move to buying launch capacity on those rockets. So the, the interpretation here is, or, you know, with, with context, um, basically, he's saying that if New Glenn and BFR are doing their thing, NASA doesn't really see a reason to fly SLS. But notice that his phrasing is very specific here. 
we will eventually retire the government system. Okay. That's where my mixed feelings come from. So they've already spent like $16 billion. That's or, a lot. They, they've actually, I think, budgeted like $13 billion, but they're scheduled to have $16 billion by 2022. And, and 2022 is a good number here because that's the earliest that BFR may fly to Mars. So we're talking potentially, you know, $16 billion or, or $16 billion at minimum, right? It's only going to go up from there. Every launch of SLS right now we believe at minimum is going to cost five billion dollars plus extra if it's you know like a test mission and for something not reusable right so uh yeah Sam in the chat says it is it really worth repeating the 2020 to Mars figure for BFR no but I mean like we have we have to start somewhere right like I'm talking about like <laughs> minimum how much are we going to spend but uh but yeah we're, we're going to dump a ton of money into SLS maybe fly it a couple times Right. This isn't saying, hey, we're cutting our losses. We're going to dump uh, money or uh, lessons learned or whatever into these other uh, super heavy launchers. They're saying we're going to continue with our launcher, maybe fly it a couple times before we decide that we're going to retire it. That is at least something. And since, you know, these launches will cost around $5 billion a piece, that's so much money that, yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to see them. Just, you know, move those services over to SpaceX any day or Blue Origin because, you know, we were talking, I guess, a couple of weeks ago about the sunk cost fallacy, you know, with the, mm-hmm. with the James Webb Space Telescope. And it's different here because this is a vehicle, the SLS vehicle, which will most likely not be capable of doing anything that can't be done for far less money. Plus, it's going to have a cost that will continue to cost something per launch. And it's, so it's not like, you know, a big space telescope, which has a whole lot of development cost. But then once it's launched, it doesn't cost a whole lot to maintain. So I think it's a great idea because it just saves everyone a lot of money and we don't lose any capability. Um, And Sam in the chat's got a a good point that BFR is not meaningfully funded. I think that's a, a good phrase. Um, we, you can't consider BFR inevitable. I think that's, I think that's actually uh, a really good point. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's also true for New Glenn, which, you know, has not funded it, all. Except New, New Glenn, I think you can consider it funded, um, just because Bezos is going to do what he's going to do. He's not relying on other people. He's not relying on money from customers, that kind of thing. And it, it's also worth pointing out that SLS is a very mature system at this point. They're very close to having a, a real world rocket as opposed to the other two. But like you said, this comes down to the overall operating costs and the reusability, which reusability at least wasn't like a super thing that we need to be concerned about when SLS was was being constructed. It, we didn't realize that it, it was going to be such a world changing or mm-hmm. uh, such a, a game changer potentially i mean we still haven't seen reusability lower costs by very much but yeah you know S- sls is now in a, in a different world than it was when you know when it first was conceived um definitely since its predecessor uh the constellation program which you know wasn't a heavy lift vehicle but you know still kind of you know, we, we weren't thinking in the same terms back then. And certainly its ultimate predecessor, Shuttle, um, didn't save anybody any money by being reusable, right? It was so mm-hmm. expensive to refurbish uh, that it, it basically uh, didn't make a difference. So, so yeah, that I mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm super conflicted about this. Because, like, we need to have this capability and we need to have these super heavy lift vehicles now. But SLS is really expensive. SLS doesn't have any really good payloads. Uh, you know, we don't really, it, it's, it's a solution without a problem, really. It's a solution hoping that a problem is going to arise. And, you know, the, the things that it is 
currently scheduled for. I don't think, you know, I don't think that, that the lunar gateway is a super great idea. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, uh, super conflicted. My take on this is I think it's just a very, it's a sensible statement. Because he's got that if buried in there, right? Not yeah, right. buried, but yeah. yeah. So if they, if New Glenn and BFR knock it out of the park and they turn out to be, you know, everything that they're made out to, uh, then if SLS does turn into this kind of awkward, more expensive, non-reusable thing that's going side by side or being launched at the same time as these other spacecraft and it's not it's it's more expensive it's not doing the more exciting things that they're doing then eventually yeah just you know eventually get rid of it but otherwise proceed forward so that way we know you know we'll at least have some super heavy capability in n many years and that's how i see it too yep it's not like this is going to be canceled before they know for certain so Mm. they will go forward and if it ends up that bfr and new glenn are doing well then at that point they can say yeah you know what maybe we don't need this thing and Mm. so i'm just saying cancel it as soon as it's feasible and safe to do so i'm not saying that they should do it beforehand and i don't think that that's what they're planning on doing so yeah i mean i think it's a good plan i'm just glad that they're not saying no matter what happens we are going to continue to launch launch this thing even if it costs five billion dollars and you know there are two other rockets that can do everything that we can do that seems like a complete waste of time and money and nasa should be spending those funds on something else that no one else is doing because that's kind of what i want nasa to do not doing something that you know the private sector can do better but five billion dollars is a lot of money how much was shuttle again I i think it was like half a billion per launch yeah per launch i think it was like half a billion dollars uh yeah yeah 450 million or 18,000 per kilogram. That's kind of crazy that this costs that much more. So that's like 10 times more than shuttle. That seems like a step backward. I mean, I get it that it's capable of more. You know, it can go further, but still. Well, and and that half a billion dollars for shuttle, we have to keep in mind that that was pretty late in its life. Um, so that was when we had a lot of the bumps smoothed out. So when it started, it was definitely more expensive than that. Like I've heard much higher numbers. So yeah, I mean, de- definitely not the over its lifetime. That's probably m- lower than the average, but you know, whatever. I guess I'll just conclude by saying that I hope that we have a good BFR and New Glenn, maybe not in 2022, but maybe 2024 or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, they say we don't need to do this anymore and let's build something something right. more interesting that SpaceX is not already doing. <laughs> right. It shows an open-mindedness, I think. So I, yeah. I like it. Before we leave, let us uh, let me read some quotes from the chat room. Sam is really knocking out of the park today. He says, uh, wasn't too long ago, uh, back we had people saying NASA Mars sample return should be canceled because Red Dragon would do it. Then he goes on to say, I doubt Elon will outright cancel BFR in the same way, but who knows what it'll be if it ever flies. Elon is hitting on a major redesign on Twitter right now, and that seems like a pretty good transition into our second news item. So we have some more cryptic tweets from Elon Musk. They're just so entertaining that we uh, can't help but talk about them. So SpaceX will not be upgrading Falcon 9's second stage. So I guess that's, yeah, another change kind of Mm. out of nowhere. So that's not happening. And this is to focus more on BFR. So the exact tweet by Musk, and this was just yesterday as we record this. SpaceX is no longer planning to upgrade Falcon 9 second stage for reusability, accelerating BFR instead. New design is very exciting, delightfully counterintuitive. So that really, I mean, yeah, that's just got everyone thinking. I wish he would elaborate on what the hell that means. (laughs) So (laughs) do you have any ideas? He he did a little bit. So somebody replied and said, uh, BFR design has changed again, or speaking about the latest design. And Elon says, radical change. Yeah, yeah, but 
but that's almost even more confusing because I thought that there was still some confusion. So is this a third or is it a fourth major redesign or is he talking about the change that was made back in September or that was revealed back in September? I think this is a new thing. I don't think that this is the the 2018 announcement. Mm. Yeah, and that's kind of what I think too, but he could use more words. I mean, he has 140 140 characters or 280 now. I forget which it is, but... 280, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 280 and he just says radical change. I mean, come on. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, so here's the interesting thing. It's like, (laughs) we're getting hyped up and then disappointed over all these design iterations. But I don't think that this is unusual at all. I think that most companies go through these kind of design, you know, iterations, maybe not as, you know, big and grand and dramatic as as BFR, because we haven't ever tried to build something like this before. But, you know, these changes happen all the time with, uh, with launchers. It's just that most other vehicles or mo- most other companies are so much quieter that we don't get to see the ups and downs and the backs and forths. We just see, right. you know, maybe one intermediate and then one final product. But then why does he always say things like, this is it, this is the final design, there will be no more changes. And then yeah. a month later, he says, yeah. you know, yeah. the showman. Or do you think that he actually is convinced that this latest design, this is how it's going to be, but then something comes up that he couldn't anticipate? I guess like a member of his team comes to him and says, hey, we got this new concept, and then that's what happens. I wish I knew what goes on at SpaceX because these things just come out of left field, it seems. Mm -hmm. So we know now that there will be no reusable Falcon 9 second stage, but... Darn, so disappointing. (laughs) I was really looking forward to that. But going back to what we discussed, I think, last week, Mm -hmm. um, this doesn't mean that they're not going to be testing... Mini the BFR. BFR. Mini BFR, yeah, yeah. Or I guess micro BFR because we're already on... Yeah, a smaller version. <laughs> mi- mini BFR XL because they went smaller and the bigger. And yeah, so, so basically it sounds like instead of doing this test while they're running payload. It sounds like they might have dedicated missions just to fly a mini BFR. Is that is that kind of what it sounds like to you guys? Yeah, uh, that was my sense. Yeah, just like a couple of tests that are just for doing that, not for paying customers. That's my guess. Yeah, independent of everything else. I was, I was really hoping that they were going to be able to do a reusable second stage that, you know, skydived back into the atmosphere, you know, recover the uh, fairings on a ship. Like, oh man, we we're going to have a fully reusable launch vehicle. Is going to be so cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we still hopefully will. It just won't be Falcon 9. Yeah, so just to reiterate how, I don't know, flaky his statements can be, he said, <laughs> he said back in September, I feel like this is the final iteration in terms of broad architectural decisions. So that ended up not being the case. So I wonder... I mean, I guess hopefully we'll find out in maybe the coming weeks what he means by a radical change. But do you think that there will be many more or... Is this really it? Um, And I guess no one can say. Yeah, I've made enough wrong predictions that I'm just going to say I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we have no idea. I mean, we're heading into the holiday season, so I don't know if it's going to be revealed within the next couple months, but I hope so, Mm -hmm. because that would be, you know what, that would be a great Christmas present if I could wake up on Christmas (laughs) and he lays out exactly what these changes are going to be, that would be awesome. Well, and and of course, you know, everybody's pushing for a Tim Dodd interview, which won't happen because he'll have to answer too many good questions. Oh, yeah. But also, even if he does, those answers are going to have a timer on them, right? They're not going to be valid for very long. So Yeah, there's no point in doing an interview. He's only going to say what he wants to say. That's okay. We'll just, uh, we'll rely on Gwen Shotwell to tell us the truth. 
moving on to short and sweet. We got three of them. And what is our first one, Ben? All right. First up, the FCC approves four large satellite constellations. On November 15th, the FCC gave approval for the installation of four low Earth orbit telecom satellites that will provide worldwide internet services. The total number of satellites is just under 8,000, with SpaceX holding the majority of these at 7,518. The approval, however, sets a deadline giving these companies six years to get at least half their constellation into orbit and another three years to complete the project, resulting in a required 750 satellites lofted per year for SpaceX. Three of these companies, SpaceX, Telsat, and Kepler, asked for leniency on this deadline, but were rejected. And next up, Russia is looking into reusable rockets too. Two Russian aerospace companies, Energomash and S7 Space, recently laid out several requirements at a recent conference for a reusable launch vehicle, stating that the engines should have a turnaround time of more than 48 hours and be capable of around 100 ignitions. To this end, S7 Space is currently developing a reusable rocket based on the Soyuz 5 booster that is under development for launching Russia's crewed Federatsiya spacecraft, which will replace the aging Soyuz spacecraft. And finally, OSIRIS-REx unfurls its sampling arm for the first time en route to Bennu. After lying dormant for over two years and with only two weeks until arrival at the asteroid Bennu, NASA's OSIRIS-REx unfurled its sampling arm and performed basic maneuvers to check its spaceworthiness. The touch-and-go sample acquisition mechanism, or TAGSAM, aims to retrieve at least 60 grams of asteroid material in July 2020 by blasting the surface with nitrogen gas and collecting uplifted material. Until then, the mission will study Bennu's surface in great detail, mapping it to a resolution of a few centimeters. So we have no questions, comments, or corrections once again. So very quiet week. Uh, we're just going to move on to upcoming spaceflight events. We got three launches and nothing else. So what do we got here? So our first one, uh, there will be a Long March 2D that will be carrying Saudi Sats 5A and 5B, a second generation remote sensing satellites from Saudi Arabia. This launch will take place on November 20th at 2340 UTC with a launch window from 2333 to 2356 UTC, flying out of the launch area four in Jutran, China. And then after that, we have a Vega flying Mohammed VI's B, um, which is the second Earth observation satellite uh, built by Morocco. It was developed by Talas Alenia Space and Airbus. It will be um, doing land mapping as well as agricultural monitoring and uh, natural disaster kind of stuff. And so that is flying on November 21st at 01.42 hours UTC, and it's flying out of uh, Kourou, uh, French Guiana. And lastly, on November 25th, the launch of a Falcon 9 Block 5, and that is uh, launching SSO-A. So we had mentioned this last week. This one got pushed back, and this is uh, that huge ride share with, uh, how many was it? It's like 70-something satellites. I can't remember already. I've already forgotten. But a whole mm-hmm. bunch of satellites going to low earth orbit and that is uh launching see that's launching on the 25th at 1831 and 47 seconds utc from vandenberg air force base in california and of course you could always watch that one live uh so check that one out that'll be at a decent time so if you're in the states you can totally watch that one all right those are your upcoming spaceflight events well then we will deal up with the show we'd like to thank ronald jenkins and tim dodd for our music we record live on sundays at 9 a.m pacific 12 p.m eastern thank you so much to our five dollar and up patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly if you want to support the show too please leave us a review wherever you listen or visit the orbitalmechanics.com support for our patreon campaign 
in affiliate links and other resources. Thank you to Steve-O and a bunch of numbers uh, for leaving us a review <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com and be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can talk about the show with other listeners on Twitter and Reddit. We're Orbital Podcasts on both. And you can talk directly to us by emailing info at theorbitalmechanics.com. So that's it, and we will see you next week on Orbit. Until then, later. Goodbye, everybody. See ya.